Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to News from the Torah. This is Leah Aharoni. Today is June 1st and the second day of the Hebrew month of Sivan. This week we'll read the Torah portion of, of Nassau, but I'm not going to talk about the Torah portion, although it is brilliant and very interesting. I'm going to talk about the upcoming holiday of Shavuot. Shavuot is the holiday on which the Jewish people received the Torah on Mount Sinai. It comes after counting 50 days of the Omer from Passover. It is taught that when the Jewish people came out of Egypt, they had to climb one rung on a ladder of spiritual growth from Pesach to Shavuot. And it is said that there are 50 rungs of spiritual growth. So after growing one rung a day for 50 days, on the sixth day of the month of Sivan, the Jewish people received the Torah. And the light of the Torah that was received on that day in, on the year 2448 uh, from the creation of the world is re-experienced every year on Shavuot. And this year is no different. So this Sunday we will all go to the synagogue to hear the Ten Commandments to re-experience the giving of the Torah. And it is so that the Torah has to be experienced and received not only externally but internally we need to internalize the teachings of the torah and i hope that on this show we can discuss some some facets of this acceptance of the torah and making it relevant to our life so today i would like to discuss how when we lose sight of the values of the torah or values in general this can lead to a decomposition of our society, and I will share a story I experienced this week. We will also discuss the importance of instilling Torah values and experiences in our children, because our children are the only guarantee that this Torah will survive and be observed and stay relevant for generations to come. And finally, We will read a very interesting passage from the Talmud about the giving of the Torah that will dismiss a certain myth about what the Torah is all about, what spirituality is all about, and how we can apply the Torah and make it relevant to our lives. So stay tuned. We'll be here with you right after these messages. How did a nice Jewish girl from Delaware end up living in Israel? Shalom! I'm Natalie Sapinski. Join me on my show, Returning Home. Meet different people who have moved to Israel. Hear their personal stories, their highs, their lows, and everything in between. Each week, we talk to experts on immigration and the process of moving to Israel. Listen to Returning Home every Thursday, only on Israel News Talk Radio. So this past Sunday, we celebrated Yom Yerushalayim, the Jerusalem day. 
It's the day on which in 1967 Jerusalem was freed, liberated from Jordanian rule, and the Jewish people got back the rule over Jerusalem, over Eastern Jerusalem, over the old city, and specifically the Kotel. It is celebrated every year with Rikud Galim, a march of people throughout the city with dancing, singing, and music, and mainly, mainly, many, many flags. It's called the Flag Dance. And this coming Sunday, we're going to celebrate the holiday of Shavuot. Shavuot is the holiday on which we receive the Torah. After receiving Torah, it is said that the Jewish people camped out in the desert of Sinai, and they camped based on their flags. Every tribe had a flag, and every tribe had a specific place in the encampment where it had to camp, bearing its flag. So between these two uh, dates that are associated with flags, I'd like to share a story that happened to me a few weeks ago. I was invited by a certain leading educational leadership institution in Jerusalem to share a talk about my outlook on the Kotel. And as I usually do, I started the talk by taking out a talit, showing it to the participants, who are all educational leaders, people with PhDs in education, media people, people who really are thought leaders in Israel society today, about 20 people in their 30s and 40s and 50s. So I took out a talit and in a paraphrase on the Jonathan Hyde's famous values experiment, I showed the Talit and I asked, what would happen if I would cut up the Talit in the privacy of my own home, a Talit is a prayer shawl, and use it to wash my windows? Nobody would know about this. Is this a moral act? And besides one person who said that he was uh, horrified by the idea of cutting up a tallit or washing the windows with it, the rest of the people said, it's just a piece of fabric. Yes, it has religious symbolism, but that's in the eyes of the beholder. So if nobody knows about it and nobody's heard about it, that's not a problem because fabrics don't have feelings. Obviously, this is very different from the Jewish outlook. In the halakha, in Jewish law, talit or the tzitzit, the fringes on the talit, have inherent holiness. In Judaism, we believe that holy objects have inherent holiness. It's not that they don't have feelings, but you cannot treat them disrespectfully, because by treating them disrespectfully, you also disrespect the values for which they stand, the value of holiness. And then I took out a flag, an Israeli flag, and asked what would happen if somebody would cut up the flag once again in the privacy of their own home and wash their windows with that. Would that be an immoral act? And the people had the same response. It's not that they don't care about religion. They just don't care about values. They said, once again, a flag may symbolize certain things to certain people, but if somebody does this in the privacy of their own home and nobody's feelings are hurt, there's no problem with cutting up a flag and doing whatever you want with it. I was horrified. I've never met such response in an Israeli group. I've actually met such responses in young American groups 
of college students that just don't really care about values and don't think about values and have been taught that each person's freedom ends at the tip of the other person's nose. And anybody can do whatever they want. It's free for all. And as long as you don't hurt anybody, you can pretty much do anything. And there's no inherent morality left. But I've not seen a response like this in Israel. Even when I talk to more progressive groups and young groups, usually there is a mix of opinions. There would be those people who will say that flags and talitot and other symbolic items have no inherent value. But there will always be those people who will defend the value of holiness or of loyalty, of patriotism that inherent in items like a tallit or a flag. But this group, which is ironically the group of educational leaders, has completely divested itself of these values. And at the end of the talk, the um, leader of the group said, you know, thank you to Leah for sharing her opinions. Obviously, her opinions are very different from ours because we don't believe in these inherent values. And this was a shocking experience for me because it illustrates that there are parts of the Israeli society, actually in the Israeli elites, that have completely divested themselves, not only of their religious values, which was, okay, I, I could understand that, but they completely divested themselves of the Zionist and national values that are really ready to fold up the flags and give up on this country. Now, I'm sure these people don't think of themselves as such. They don't think of themselves as post-Zionists. They don't think of themselves as somebody who doesn't care about their country. But if they are ready to give up on the inherent symbolism and value of something like a flag, if they don't see a moral problem in cutting a flag and washing the windows with it, what they have done really is folded up the flags of Zionism and national value of Israel. And the path from there to a decomposing of a society is very, very short. But there is an alternative. And the alternative is this flag dance. Seeing 50,000 people, mostly young people, mostly young people, but lots of families too, but mostly young people, teens, people in their 20s, dancing through the streets of Jerusalem with flags, dancing at the Kotel, whose flags gave me hope. There's still parts of Israeli society that understand in their bones the value of the flag, the value of an ideology, the value of celebrating your culture, your values, the things that are important to you, the dedication and loyalty to their country, the patriotism that literally runs through their blood. And as we come to the Hag of Shavuot, which is all about the giving of the Torah, it's important to remember that the Torah is really all about values and especially inherent holiness of times, objects, and people. The Torah is about celebrating, marking, acknowledging that people, places, items, 
and times have inherent holiness. And what does holiness mean? Holiness means that these items are not battle, they're not run-of-the-mill. We need to find godliness, something that's apart from this physical world, in every single aspect of our life, that times have inherent value and holiness that we need to find and acknowledge through our actions, that places have inherent value and holiness, and we need to acknowledge it through our actions, that items, like a prayer book or a tallit, have inherent holiness, so we need to acknowledge it and celebrate it. In Jewish law, you're not allowed, for example, to put a siddur, a prayer book, on top of a Torah, um, a book from the Torah. But the, there is a seder, there is a order in which you can put books in top, on top of the, each other. Now that seems like something very minute, but it's an expression of realization that there are different values and different orders of holiness, and we need to be mindful of those and respect them. And that creates a sensitivity in a person to holiness, to levels of holiness in different objects, times, and places. This sensitivity is really all about what Judaism is about. It's all that we're here to do, to develop in ourselves this taste, this appreciation for moments and places of holiness. It is said that on Shavuot, the light of the giving of the Torah that was experienced by our forefathers three and a half thousand years ago is coming down again so we can experience it today. The holidays of Judaism are not historical events. They are replays of historical events in our times. So that today, on this Shavuot, we will experience the giving of the Torah, a light that was experienced by our forefathers. And it's this light, this understanding, this acknowledgement, this new appreciation, this new light that our forefathers got at the giving of the Torah will be re-experienced by us on this coming Shavuot if only we're open and sensitive to it. So I suggest that you take this upcoming holiday and take it to examine how does your life line up with the values of the Torah? How does your life line up with the values of holiness? Are you finding holiness in times, places, people, and things? Are you developing a sensitivity to holiness, an appreciation to holiness in different aspects of your life? And are you doing this in accordance with the laws and the teachings of the Torah? And if you're not fully observant, if you don't know all the laws, that's fine. It's a gradual process, but maybe there is a new undertaking that you can find in your mitzvah, a new expression of holiness that you can incorporate in your life. Think about that and stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 
This is Shai Bentico, and each week I'll be webcasting to you from Judea, origin of the word Jew, a people besieged and beleaguered in every generation. Nazi Germany is but a memory, but in its place the world invented the phantom Palestinians as this generation's internationally authorized Jew killers. Tune in for a different slant on life in Israel, Phantom Nation, every Monday. Welcome back. I would like to share a story with you that I heard this week that is so poignant to the giving of the Torah on this coming Sunday. The story happened in 1990 at the very end of the Soviet rule just before Soviet Union fell apart. A group of Chabad Hasidim came to Russia to help their Jewish brothers and sisters. And a certain young man got stationed at the local synagogue and helped the mohel, the person who performs brit milah circumcisions, to perform circumcisions on people who would come. Circumcisions were forbidden, and most Russian Jews did not perform them during the Soviet years. So now, in 1990, when the Soviet rule let up and the society became a little bit freer, people would come secretly to the synagogue and ask to be circumcised, people in their 40s and 50s and 60s. So this young man is stationed outside the synagogue. It's it's the middle of the winter, and he sees this taxi pull up, and out of the taxi comes out an elderly couple, people in their late 60s, holding a little baby. So in his broken Russian, with gestures, he asks what what do they want, and they quietly tell him that they heard that there is a mohel at the synagogue who performs brit milah. And he asks them what's with the baby, and they explain that this is their daughter's baby. Their daughter is um, a dentist. She's very busy, but she had this baby two months ago, and they came to acquire by having a brit milah. So the Hasid takes the baby and walks over to a container where they would perform the Brit Milah. They didn't do it in the synagogue. They would do this in, in a container that was put up there for food storage because they were still concerned about Soviet spies. He gives the baby over to the Mohel, and the Mohel thinks that he has been asked to perform a Brit Milah. <laughs> I mean, what else would you bring a baby for? He takes the baby into the synagogue, calls up some people and performs brit milah. And then he calls the chassad because there comes a time at the end of the brit milah when the baby is given a name. But the chassad doesn't know what the name is. So he goes to the grandfather and the grandmother, calls them over and says, what's the name? They say, yeah, but you only give the name after the brit milah. And the Hasid says, yes, we are after the Brit Milah. And the grandmother and the grandfather are in shock because they did not bring the baby to have the Brit. On that day, they just came to find out if the baby was okay, if everything was good, and if there were any impediments to having a Brit Milah, but they did not mean to have it right there on the spot. All of this got lost on the Hasid and the Mohel in the language process. So they're shocked, um, embarrassed, they don't know what to do, they're going to go back to their daughter now, was this baby that already had a circumcision, it wasn't meant to be done, 
but you know they get over it and they give the name whatever the name is and then once the bread is over the grandmother opens her purse takes out a hundred ruble note and gives it to the chassid and the chassid said no 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 need to pay it's okay and the grandmother insists and the chassid insists on not taking money especially as this was a mix-up there and then the grandmother starts to cry so the chassid finds somebody to translate and asks what's the story why why are you crying and the grandmother shares that she remembered that the last time she was in the synagogue which is probably 50 years prior. The last time she went to synagogue with her father, there was a Brit Milah there. She was a little girl, but what she remembers from the Brit Milah is at the end of the ceremony, the father of the child took out money and gave it to the moil and gave it to the synagogue to ensure that the child would get a Jewish education and would go to a cheder, to a, a Jewish school, and the money was a way to ensure that that was apparently the custom there. That's the one thing she remembered from 50 years later, and that stayed with her. And now she was so upset that the husband wouldn't take her money because she wanted to ensure that the child would have a Jewish education and would continue to be a Jew. So obviously the Chassid took the money and you know, everybody lived happily ever after. But the point of the story is that something that this woman saw 50 years prior when she was a child stayed with her forever. And this week I had a very interesting conversation with a Chabad Shlucha, with a wife of a rabbi from a certain city in Ukraine. And she shared that the Jews in her town, who also lived through years of communist repressions and were very far from Judaism but the things that they saw their grandmothers do they were adamant to keep and the things that they did not see their grandmothers and grandfathers do they didn't even know existed as Jewish customs so for example the people in her community knew about matzah because Soviet Jews ate matzah throughout all the years and they remembered their grandmothers and grandfathers baking matzah or eating matzah. And they were adamant to have matzah on Pesach. They were adamant to go to shul, to the synagogue on Rosh Hashanah, because this is something that they saw their grandparents do. But certain holidays, like Shavuot, for example, or Sukkot, were not celebrated in Russia. And those holidays just did not exist on these Ukrainian Jews' reader. So... The point she wanted to make was how important the education of little kids is because for them, this is Judaism. And the things that we do, the experiences that our children have around Judaism are really there to create the outlook on their Judaism for years to come. The thing that our children experience as Jewish experiences when they're young, will determine their attitude, what stays with them for years to come, even under such harsh conditions as Soviet repressions and anti-religious climate. The things that were put in, that were sown into children, stayed there 50, 60 years down the road, and even generations down the road, because they just cannot be erased. And 
This is exactly what our sages teach us when they teach us about the giving of the Torah. In Shira Shirim Rabbah, uh, there is a teaching in which Rabbi Meir says, when the Jewish people stood before Mount Sinai to receive the Torah, God asked them, I'm giving you the Torah. I cannot give it to you without guarantee. Rather, bring me good guarantors that you will observe it, and I will give it to you. So the Jews said before God, Master of the world, our ancestors will be guarantors for us. He said to them, your ancestors also need guarantors. What is this like? It is similar to somebody who went to borrow money from the king, and the king said, be me a guarantor, and I will lend you the money. So the person went and brought him a guarantor, and the king said to him, your guarantor, he also needs a guarantor. So he went and brought a second guarantor, and the king said, your guarantor requires another guarantor. Once again, he brought him a third guarantor, and the king said, know that because of this, I'm lending you the money. So too, when the Jews stood to receive the Torah, God said to them, bring me a good guarantor that you will observe this Torah, and I will give it to you. In other words, what is a guarantee that you will observe the Torah? How does God know that the Jewish people will stick to the Torah for years and years and generations to come? What's the guarantee? Who can guarantee that? So the Jewish people tried to bring various guarantors. First, they suggested the forefathers, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. But God would not appreciate that. Then they said, you know, the prophets will be our guarantors. But God would not have that. And then in the end, they said, our children are guaranteeing for us. And then God said, they are certainly good guarantors. I will give it to you on the account of your children. And it said in the Torah that our children are the guarantors of our accepting the Torah. Because the payment is demanded from the borrower, but he lacks resources to pay. Who is it apprehended? The guarantor. So the children are there to ensure that we are going to keep this Torah for generations to come. And how does this work exactly? When we have values, when we have a heritage, when we have something that is important to you, we want to pass it on to the next generation. And just like we shared in the story, when something is instilled in a child at a very young age, that thing stays with the child for years. And if a child sees that something is supremely important to the parents, it will become important to the child as he goes into the next generation. The child will hopefully pass this on. So on Shavuot, there's a very important custom to bring children to the synagogue, for everybody to come to the synagogue, including very, very young children, even babies, to hear the Ten Commandments. And I suggest that on this Shavuot, you take all of your kids, grandkids, or maybe you invite your neighbor's kids, and invite them to your local synagogue to hear the Ten Commandments so they have this experience of receiving the Torah. So that 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the line, they have this Jewish experience of Shavuot, experiencing the Torah, receiving the Torah, hearing the Ten Commandments, and having something sweet, pleasurable to go with that. That the Torah is associated in their mind with something sweet and pleasurable and fun and community-related. So stay tuned. 
We will talk more about giving of the Torah after these messages. But think right now, what kids, who are the kids, and what synagogue can you take them to the Shabbat? Hi, I'm Rabbi David Aaron. The soul basics are the most profound, the most essential, and yet often the most neglected in our education. Join me for Soul Talk on Israel's News Talk Radio and discover the secrets to love, spiritual growth, and personal power. for a third and final segment for today and before we part I would like to share with you um, teaching that our sages bring in the Talmud about the giving of the Torah that really really illustrates what it is all about we usually think that if we are observant people if we follow the Torah we have to be perfect and we give us a, a really hard time about every single one of our failures we also judge other people around us based on that benchmark and this teaching about the giving of the Torah really drives it home what is this Torah all about so I would like to teach this teaching from the Gemara I will read it straight and then we will discuss it to really understand that the Torah is not given to angels and God has no expectation of us to be perfect. Rather the Torah is given to imperfect people to guide them in becoming better, in becoming more godly. So this is the teaching in the Talmud in the Tractate of Shabbat on page 89 and it goes as follows. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi said, When Moshe ascended on high to receive the Torah, the ministering angel said before God, What is one person born of a woman doing here among us? And God said to them, He came to receive the Torah. And the angels answered, The Torah is a hidden treasure that was concealed by you for 974 generations before the creation of the world, and now you seek to give it to flesh and blood? As it is stated, the world which he commanded to a thousand generations. So yes, the world was created after the Torah, based on the Torah. As our sages teach that the world was created a thousand generations after the creation of the Torah. The Torah predates the world and is a blueprint for the world. So the Talmud continues, rather there is a psalm that says, God, our Lord, how glorious is your name in all the earth that your majesty is placed above the heavens. The rightful place of God's majesty, the Torah, is in the heavens. So God turned to Moshe and said, Provide them with an answer as to why the Torah should be given to the Jewish people. Moses said to him, Master of the universe, I am afraid they may burden me with the breath of their mouth. So God said to him, 
grasp my throne of glory for strength and protection and provide them with an answer. And from where is this derived? It is stated he caused him to grasp the front of the throne and spread his cloud over it. This is a verse in Eob, in Job. Rabbi Nahum said, the verse teaches that God spread the radiance of his presence and his cloud over Moses to protect him. Moses said before him, Master of the universe, the Torah that you are giving me, what is written in it? God said to him, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt from the house of bondage. Moses said to the angels, Did you ascend to Egypt? Were you enslaved to Pharaoh? Why should the Torah be yours? Against Moses asked, What else is written in it? And God said to him, You shall have no other gods before me. Moses said to the angels, Do you dwell among the nations who worship idols, that you require this special warning? Again Moses asked, What else is written in it? The Holy One, blessed be he, said, Remember the Shabbat day to sanctify it. Moses asked the angels, Do you perform labor that you require rest from it? Again, Moses asked, What else is written in it? Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, meaning that it is prohibited to swear falsely. Moses asked the angels, Do you conduct business with another that, you, that may lead you to swear falsely? Against Moses asked, What else is written in it? The Holy One, blessed be he, said to him, Honor your father and your mother. Moses asked the angels, Do you have a father or a mother that you would render this mitzvah, this commandment to honor them relevant to you? Again Moses asked, What else is written in it? You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. Moses asked the angels, Is there jealousy among you? Was there an evil inclination within you that would render these commandments relevant? Immediately the angels agreed with God that he made the right decision to give the Torah to the people. And it is said, God our Lord, how glorious is your name in all the earth, while that your majesty is placed above the heavens is not written because the angels agreed that God made the appropriate decision to give the Torah to the people on earth. Immediately, each and every one of the angels became an admirer of Moses and passed something to him. As it is said, you ascended on high, you took a captive, you took gifts on account of man, and even among the rebellious also that the Lord might dwell there. So what does the Talmud, what do the sages teach us in this story? That Moses went up to the heavens and the angels initially did not want to allow God to give the Torah to the Jewish people, and then in the end they agreed. So this voice that the angels are sounding, that the Torah does not belong to the people, is really not just the voice of the angels. It is a voice that exists in this world. It is a voice that exists inside every one of us. And it is said that there's certain matters of holiness the certain matters of religion that just too high, too lofty, not for us, they're for special people, for people who are perfect. In certain societies, the monks who sit in monasteries, and they're the ones who are perfect, who are removed from the world, they are the ones who observe their religion. And then the everyday person 
just does their thing and maybe contributes something to the monks, to the priests, but is really not receiving the Torah, not living by the Torah, not living by the uh, ordinances, the commandments of the religion. The religion is set aside for special people, for quote-unquote angels. But this is absolutely not the Jewish approach. And once Moses is connected to the seat of glory, to the seat of God in the world, once Moses is connected to godliness, he has the answer. And what's the answer? What's the depth of God's purpose? The seat of glory, the throne of glory, is all about God's majesty in the world. It's all about crowning God as the king of the world. So what is the outlook that crowns God, that creates the seat of glory, this throne for God in the world? What's the outlook? Every single person has struggles. And in this struggle, they need to find godliness. So yes, angels don't have an evil inclination. So they, they don't need a commandment not to perform idolatry. Who does need this inclination? The person who deals with the urges in his life. Or angels, special people, holy people, monks who live in monasteries do not conduct business. So that they don't need a commandment not to swear falsely. They're simply not tempted to do so. Who does need a commandment? A person who goes out into the world, who works, who conducts business with others. That person needs to deal with and speak truth to other people. Monks don't have uh, a temptation to steal. Who does have a temptation to steal? A person who deals with money every single day. And on and on and on, the many mitzvot make commandments, prohibitions in the Torah that are not given to special, exalted people. They're given to regular people. You and me, the regular Joe on the street, who has temptations, who has evil urges, who has challenges, who doesn't know what to do, who doesn't know how to act, who wants to sink into the physical reality of this world, who is pulled in by the temptations, the pressures, the peer pressures of the world, who doesn't always think about godliness or lofty things or things that are special, things out of this world, People who deal with everyday measures, everyday things, everyday situations and circumstances, people who really live in this world, they are the ones who need the Torah. And this is really the question, where does the Torah dwell? Does the Torah dwell on high in some exalted special places? Or does the Torah need to be brought down and made relevant and be applied and observed in everyday mundane situations. And this is the Torah's message. The Torah doesn't just belong on high. It is the blueprint for the world. The world was created based on the Torah. And this is exactly why the Torah has to be applied, observed, made relevant to everyday mundane situations, to challenges, to the darkest places by people who are challenged in these darkest places. And by taking the light of the Torah, the understanding of the Torah, the appreciation of the Torah, the sensitivities of the Torah to these darkest places, 
they are enlightened and then even these dark places become full of godliness because really darkness is only there to cover up godliness darkness is like a veil that covers up the light but you put the veil aside and you fight the light the godliness even in those dark places and so as we're about to accept the torah on shavuot i bless each one of you and myself included that we find the wisdom to live torah every single day in everything we face in every challenge we face in every darkness we face in every place which we don't know what to do but we find the light of torah to guide us and with this i wish you a very happy and meaningful shavuot time of accepting the torah and i will see you next week bye bye now Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. Just click the orange button at the top of the IsraelNewsTalkRadio.home page, log in as yourself or an anonymous guest, and join in on the fun. You'll meet other listeners from all over the world who listen to Israel News Talk Radio, and you can make new friends. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. It's the closest you can get to being in the studio with us. We love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips with scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candle lighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel. Plus, little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.